Nothing beats our stories. Welcome to the campfire. Join me, Ben Zoldan, and my guests as we explore all kinds of topics. This platform exists to inspire human spirit. Period, that's it. Nothing's off limits and you're gonna hear from everybody. Thought leaders and non-thought leaders, CEOs and non-CEOs, authors and non-authors. What you're gonna really hear is conversations that matter, that get to the heart of the human condition and stories that inspire. Today I have my good friend, Colonel John O'Grady joining us. And John has had a distinguished 30-year career in the military. He was a former two-time bronze medal recipient, started his career at West Point. See if I could get this right. He was the executive officer to the commanding general of NATO. Um, but more than that, for me, I'm excited because I've gotten to know John recently, and he's had a big impact on my life. And some of the experiences he's shared with me about leadership and what it means to really serve people and community. Um, I'm just so excited. So with that, John, welcome to the campfire. So first, thanks. Um, thanks for what you do. And thanks for this incredible concept, you know, of, of campfire, right? And I know when you and I first started talking, I uh, in a, uh, incorrectly referred to it as, uh, you know, like fireside chat which, you know, was uh, Roosevelt uh, when he was president during World War II, he would hold his fireside chats. But that was him speaking in one direction to the public. But the campfire, I mean, that's a whole nother model and, and you get a mental image and it's literally organic sharing. It's uh -huh. people coming together in, in, a, in a community um, around the campfire and just sharing stories and experiences and um, I, I think that's really powerful. And, you know, the, the word community, right? C common unity. You're, you're creating this community ar around this campfire. And I think we sometimes forget that, that when you split that out, that notion of common and unity is super powerful. And we should never forget that because it's really what does make our country, I believe, great. It's the power that we have. But what I would, what I would share is something that struck me when I was in Afghanistan. And what I, uh, while I embraced the idea of like, hey, you know, thanks for your service, right? And, you know, the 1% of us in, the, in, in uniform service have, have chose to serve our nation in that manner, using that service as our vehicle to serve, right? But when I was in Afghanistan, I came across all sorts of people who were not in uniform per se, people out of our own government, people out of the international communities, governments, non-government organizations. Uh, heck, I even had a, you, you want to talk about hippy dippy, right? I had a anthropologist, uh, a professor, a woman with a PhD in anthropology, took a year sabbatical from Cal Berkeley to spend six months of it embedded with me and my unit in Afghanistan because she understood, you know, these things of tribalism and some other things. And, and here's this woman, you know, who's doing it because she just wants to serve. And so my point behind that is during this pandemic, people like yourself, but also people who are bringing us together, right, um, in a positive way, but, you know, nurses, first responders, doctors who are trying to come up with solutions to this thing government leaders, et cetera, community leaders, they're all serving, man, right? And, and we just need to open our mental aperture as to what it means to serve in this country. Because for the longest time, we were fixated on just folks like myself. And again, I embrace it. I appreciate it. Yeah. And so I'm just going to say back to you, thanks for your service. Because what yeah. you're doing is, is no less important or impactful. You just choose a different way to do it. And there's millions of Americans just like you, you know, and that's, that's the, that's the community. That's our common unity service. So thanks. Yeah. Well, as you're saying that, I, and I think I told you this in a, in a prior conversation, you know, at nauseum right now, if I go on my LinkedIn feed, I'm going to see some sort of article or even webinar or podcast um, around uh, leadership in crisis because we're all in crisis and we all want to be leaders. And I remember saying to you, and I don't know if it, if it land, how it landed on you. I was like, man, it feels like we have those words wrong. Leadership in crisis. It's like, 
at least in corporate, the corporate world where I spent 30 years, I feel like we have a crisis in leadership. And I remember saying those words to you. It's like a leadership in crisis, almost like we're cherry picking this thing right now. But in my experience, I feel like before this thing went down, we had a crisis before. And my fear is, are we going to have a crisis afterwards? And as I was thinking about that and community, I was thinking, who gets it right? Community. Right? Because if we know anything, it's the only thing that's really going to rescue us right now is this idea that we're all interdependent and this right. communal life. And I was thinking, in corporate America, do we get it right or do we have a crisis of leadership? And the, the, the aha moment for me was, you guys get it right. There's no black, white, Republican, Democrat. And when I think of service, here's what comes up for me. And I think that that word service is maybe the crisis in leadership. And here's why. I have a friend, his name's Jay. And he was telling me the story about his niece. His niece just graduated and got a degree in nursing. And she lived in, I think, Colorado. And the day, this was like six weeks ago, the day she earned her degree in nursing, she gets on a plane, goes to New York City, posts up in a hotel indefinitely and is in a makeshift hospital, probably, I don't know if in a hospital or in Central Park, taking care of people. And like, I think about the idea of service to like sacrifice and I feel like we have a crisis in leadership and that's what's coming up for me. How does that land on you? Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Uh, absolutely a crisis in leadership. And, and first off, you know, again, that goes back to my point about, you know, there's a perfect example of, the, of that young lady that you just talked about, um, you know, who is serving right, in, a, in an exceedingly meaningful way. Um, but there, there, there is and there was, and unfortunately, if we don't seize this opportunity, because it is an opportunity, um, there will remain a crisis in leadership, uh, for sure. I absolutely believe that. Um, and a lot of it, quite frankly, is rooted in, um, for the longest time, we valued the uh, hard skills, right? You know? Um, and, uh, you know, Wall Street's rule in the day and the big banks and, and, and uh, technical services and all these other things. And, and what we failed and left, unfortunately, behind was um, what people would refer to as soft skills. I, I prefer to, re I, I refer to them as high human skills. And I'm telling you, the high human skills are the ones that are going to differentiate you right now while we're leading in crisis. And they're going to differentiate those people on the back end as we move forward out of this. And the people who embrace those high human skills are really the ones who are going to differentiate themselves. And those will be the businesses that uh, actually their value proposition is not just in a human and societal way, but they'll reap the benefits financially too. I, fun I fundamentally believe it. Yeah. So can you share some of those high human skills? What some of them yeah. are? Yeah. A lot of them are the... Uh, it is, is what I prefer, right? The vulnerability, right? Uh, empathy, honesty, sympathy when it's appropriate. Those are just a few uh, that come to mind. And then you've got, you know, some of the other ones like, you know, honesty, et cetera, uh, resilience. Um, but those, those would be probably a couple that just come to mind off the top of my head. So the way that lands on me is, like, I would imagine that like I always talked about, like there's this old paradigm, this old school paradigm. Maybe it came from the 20th century, Wall Street, you know, factory line, worker, assembly line, and you focus on how to get from here to here. And it makes perfect sense, you know, because everything's linear, logical, and it's task oriented. And when we have tasks, we have to have expertise on how we do those tasks. And we get so focused on these hard skills. And what you call the soft skills somehow get shoved aside as a consequence. And yet those are the things that make us human, which, so as, I'm, as I process that, the thing that comes up for me, John, is like, in the military, I would have imagined that, no, it's about hard skills, the old way. Like, are there instances, like even at leadership at, at, in the military at the highest levels, when we know we have to have hard skills, whatever those expertise levels are, that, like, is there a shifting of the guard? Is there instances where there's, there's almost like leadership that doesn't focus on those high human skills and, and that results in poor performance. Like the best uh, versions of, of leaders um, don't make it binary. They understand the value of both. 
And to your point, though, we've we've done everything we can to repress, suppress, suffocate um, these these high human skills um, because they're just seen as you know soft, wishy-washy, whatever. But hey, at the end of the day, and especially in the military, right? Leadership is a highly intimate endeavor if it's done right. And it is a deep human connection if it's done right. Because again, I'm not, I'm not everywhere where things are happening inside my organization. And so people really have to feel a deep human connection to me as their leader to be able to go ahead and do some of the things that we ask them to do in the military. It's not just as simple as, hey, go take that hill. It, it's just not that simple. I, you know, on, on some level, I wish it was, um, but it's not. You know, and then, and then on the back end, when you're the person who makes that decision, they need to know um, that they can trust you. Um, they need to know that you, you do genuinely care for them and about them. Um, and they need to know that, you know, when they don't come back, uh, you're going to do all the things appropriate in terms of, uh, you know, their family members, uh, their fellow buddies. I've, I've spent more, more, more times than I care to, you know, even remember um, being at memorial services while still deployed downrange for soldiers, uh, you know, buddies lost, um, you know, going up to another guy and just hugging him and crying for a few seconds, you know. Um, those deep human connections are what make, makes the difference. Quite frankly, it's what, what allows you to survive and get out of there with, with, with part of your soul still intact. Wow. So when you share that, you know, I think about growing up in this real kind of macho environment for me, like where you don't cry, you know, growing up playing sports or just, you know, getting into the corporate zone where we, you know, we don't put on our armor, but we kind of do put on our armor. We suit up, we put on this sto this facade and we don't show emotions. And I know it manifests different for men or women or in different cultures, but it's the same feelings. Like I'm not supposed to go there. So I think for a lot of people, you know, that might land on them as like, well, like we cry in the, you know, it's like, that's um, that flies in the face of maybe the images we see on TV or in movies. Like, it, but yet, yet, what it sounds like is that's the basis of trust, that intimacy. Absolutely, and you know, I've, I've, I've done a lot of reflecting on this, and I've done a lot of reading, and um, you know, I'm a bit of an autodidactic learner. And um, what I really attribute it to, and, and you know, I hope this—I I don't want this to come off as sexist in any way. Okay, um, but it, but as men, we've got we've got it all wrong as a society, and we just self perpetuate to ourselves as men what it really means to be a man. We have the, we have perverted what masculinity is meant to be, um, and and unfortunately, if you think about it, um, even in your growing up, right. It, what was it about? It was about competition. It was about, okay, well, if I can't beat you physically and I can't beat you in a, you know, a, a, um, quite frankly, a sexual prowess way, then, uh, you know, at least maybe I could beat you financially. And if I can't do any one of those three things, some part of my manhood is in jeopardy. I mean, think about it. that's the, that's kind of the framework that a lot of us, unfortunately, not everybody, but a lot of us, are just saturated with. And that right off the bat just removes all the high human skills because it's about a power grab. It's about um, hoarding where really, quite frankly, if you think about it, the, a female archetype is about sharing in moments of scarcity, right? It's not really about competition necessarily. And, and so I think what happens is we make a lot, of, a lot of the women that I speak to, especially ones in the military, they feel like they have to be a guy. They gotta be a dude. Why? Yeah. Why can't we ju just be who you are authentically? But the whole system is so male dominated from a perverted point of view of masculinity. So I have two daughters, 20 and 18, my oldest daughter. I'll never forget this tiny little conversation she had where she showed she's an artist. And she showed me this blog by uh, this uh, artist she, she follows and loves. 
And it was this, um, this artist who went to art school in New York and then immediately graduated and went to like work for Madison Avenue, you know, design agency. So she went like right as a 20, whatever year old into corporate America, New York City, Madison Avenue. Nice. She said, so she says on her first day of um, working for this company, her, her boss, a man, pulled her aside and said to her, listen, if you ever have to cry, go in the bathroom. So she posts that in a blog post. And then it was, it was just like a one paragraph blog post and it was lit up with comments, right? And like, so I have this 20 year old, I have this 18 year old who are gonna go into the world in this maladaptive way and say, don't cry. And to me, it's, 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 it's bigger than that. It's like, don't show up as who you are. And when you say suffocate, like it's, it's just like, it's just so maladaptive. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and yet when we're, the stakes are the highest in your line of work, when it, you said, I think you said when you get it right, it's the opposite of that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's incredibly empowering for your people. Um, and you want to talk about people reaching uh, heights of, of, I mean, it's fulfillment of human potential. At the end of the day, it's fulfillment you, of human potential. What do you mean? We are systems we are human beings right and to somehow remove or suppress a part of us a third a quarter or whatever we automatically then just remove that part of the potential that's there okay. so it's not about don't show feelings it's about showing them in, in, in a manner that's one authentic and then two um models the behavior that you you, you know that you're that you're seeking quite frankly you know, you can find, you dial up any of the people I've commanded. They've all seen me cry. Yeah. I mean, they've, you know, no doubt about it. Um, and they've all seen me question my confidence. They've all seen me articulate that, that to them in, in ways that were deeply human. Right. Um, and, and by no means am I suggesting now everybody that, that I lead, you know, becomes my therapist, okay? There, there's a balance, clearly. Um, but to not, to not be human, man, I just don't choose to live that way. I refuse. Yeah. Well, do, do you feel like in your 30 years in the military and you started your career in, uh, at West Point, the military academy, right? And then as you progress in career path and, and, uh, and you're here at this end of, of your career right now, has there been any kind of shifting of the guard in terms of paradigms around, you're calling, you know, these soft or the high human skills versus this, you know, old school, like, is there a shifting of the guard or is it like, what's... Yeah, I think, um, you know, you're talking about a 1.1 million person organization, right? Um, that's got a long, long tradition and, and, and rich history. And for a, you know, a long time was exclusively male dominated. Um, and so some of that just sits deep. Um, not to suggest that all of that's bad. But I, I believe there is a shifting um, because really it's the younger people who require it, right? And I know a lot of my colleagues would be very frustrated like millennials, you know? Well, well you know, you always got to explain things to them, et cetera. And I'm like, how, how is that not a good thing? How, how is it somebody asking me to explain my position or my belief or my thought process that actually makes me better? <laughs> I mean, or I go, oh, wow, there's actually holes in, in this and I need to adapt and evolve. Um, and so I love, you know, I would always seek out the young soldiers um, and, and, and just, you know, have conversations with them, real conversations. Um, yeah. but, I, but I do feel like the shift is, it, it's occurred, it is occurring and it's a, it's a continual process. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I, I got to know a couple of years ago, uh, a now friend of mine who um, was an army ranger and he was in Afghanistan. Um, and he was um, on a mission and with his battalion is and could be and um, and he said he woke up in a military hospital in Germany two weeks later and the reason was he was shot in the pelvic bone and it shattered every part of you know the midsection of his body um, and so he wakes up um, two weeks later in a in a hospital in Germany and uh, and the recovery from that was like a year. He talked about yeah. that. And, um, but he said something about that, that really kind of struck me. And I, I hope I could play it back. So I'd love to get your insights. I think this would be important for everybody. He said something like, Ben, when we're in those like situations, you got to like trust your people so much that when, 
when they walk into a room with you, you could tell by their body language how they are doing. That's how intimate we are with each other. Like that, 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 that extreme acute focus on each other. And I think about the idea of teamwork because we throw that shit at a lot in corporate America. And I'm wondering like, what it would be like to have teamwork where somebody walks in that you work with into a room with you and you could tell how they're feeling based on their body language. That's such an intimate, like we do that with our kids, with our, with our significant others, with our parents, with our siblings. And yet it feels like in corporate America, it's not really that kind of team. It's more of a collection of individual contributors. If we're honest with each other. Mm -hmm. And then my question would be, first of all, like what's your take on how do you get that kind of intimacy? And then second, is it possible to bring that into the non-military world into corporate America environments? I really believe the fundamental way you do it, it's something I've spent a long time thinking about. Um, and, I, and I started to put into practice when I, was, when I knew I was gonna take a unit into combat. Um, it's, it's all about trust at the end of the day. That is the number one thing because trust fosters a sense of psychological safety. And that's what you're talking about. Because I would even go so far as to say that we don't do it as well in many families as, as you just articulated, right? Because there's just not this psychological safety where, you know, it's okay to, you know, like, I, 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 I love my dad. He's, he's long past, um, you know, but talking about feelings with my dad, even, I think about that. I'm like, that is foreign, man. You want to talk about feelings, you know? You know, so... Um, it, it, it's really fostering trust. And, and first it's realizing that trust is more than a feeling and, and you gotta figure out how to unpack that and define it. And then it's, it's building it with intention. But here's the key thing that unlocks it. When we think about trust in our society, you think, I mean, really, you know, before the pandemic, right? You know, hey, get on a plane. You don't know the co-pilot. You don't know the people who checked the plane. You don't know the people who had to put software updates in it to make sure that the wings were going to work properly. All these things. You trust your life. Whether you think about it or not, you're, you're trusting your life with that person. Yet, and you don't know them at all, and you'll never know them. Yet in our most intimate relationships, whether it be in our family or where our financial success is predicated on other people, we flip it. You have to earn my trust. Okay, so people I don't even know, I'm going to give my trust, I'll trust my life with. But you guys, you, my wife, my, my partner, my daughter, my, my coworker, you all have to earn my trust. And then conversely, they're doing the same thing back at me. Well, it's kind of hard to go ahead and cultivate a culture of trust if that's the start point. And once I made that mental flip and started applying that in my life, man, it opened up all sorts of possibilities. Do you remember, was it an experience you had that that was your aha moment or where did that come from? Yeah, um, it was really just a, a lot of iterative, deep reflection, conversations, et cetera. And then it, at some point I'm like, wait a minute, what, what's the roadblock? What's the thing that is kind of holding people back? And um, it, it, it just kind of, came to me, I, I guess. Um, I don't think it was any specific conversation per se or, or moment where that really jumped out at me. Um, I wish I could tell you it was. But. Right. Just feels like we, we got it backwards. And I'm almost wondering if what you're saying is we ask ourselves all the time, like the self-entitled question, you got to earn my trust. It's almost like um, the way I'm processing that is I'm wondering if we, we actually if we go first, we got to, we, we're going to, we trust other people. Can I, can I share a quick one story that absolutely, absolutely. blew my mind? So, um, so a friend of mine who is a, um, you know, special forces, he would, he would tell me about and did counterintelligence. Um, was telling me the story about how, you know, being embedded in Iraq for a number of years, you know, his mission was to go find, um, to go develop relationships with a lot of these native, you know, families that lived in the communities in these war-torn cities and had to develop trust because they needed to get intelligence of, you know, right, where people are, targets. And 
And, um, and as I'm listening to him, for me, again, my, naive, my naivete, I, I feel like I'm listening as if I'm honest, man, I feel like I'm watching a movie as I'm listening to him tell these stories, right? But he said, the first thing we'd have to do when we'd go in someone's house to go develop a relationship with them is I'd have to leave my weapon at the door. And so I'm thinking special forces, I'm thinking like what that must look like, because all I have is my, you know, zero dark 30 experience watching the movie, right? Right. So he says we had to leave our weapon at the door, but the next thing he said absolutely blew my mind. And, it, and it's absolutely what you're, I think you're talking about. He goes, the next thing we'd have to do before we walked into somebody's living room is take off our body armor. And I'm thinking about like, we struggle here in our safe, physical safe environments by giving trust to people. And yet that is the ultimate show of trust. Mm -hmm. And he said, that was the starting point. That was like the price of admission. It's almost as if instead of earning trust, we are giving trust. Yeah. Yeah, a absolutely. People, people receive that. They, they feel it. And at first they're going to be skeptical, but, but over time, um, it, it just, it, I'm, I'm telling you, it just unlocks all the opportunities in terms of deep human connection right. that are required to get out of the crisis in leadership that we're talking about that you referenced at the beginning of this. Right. So in your work, in your 30 years, vulnerability is not, is, is vulnerability this taboo or it sounds, or do you guys really embrace it? Like when it's done right, you guys really embrace it. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because, you know, in many cases, again, our lives depend on it. I mean, we, we know that at any moment, the people to the left and right of us who we're hanging out with in nice, sunny Fort, whatever, uh, in the United States, we could be in, any other place where there's a lot of people who don't necessarily feel particularly good about us. And all we have is, is, is us, at least initially until we can start building those other relationships. Anna has a question here. So can we either enable Anna or does she have it typed in here? Um, I had a question about building um, barriers, um, about building trust in corporate America and how can different industries overcome them? I'm not sure if it's, um, thinking about it sort of really, you know, generally, I'm thinking if it's a different solution for each industry or if it's slightly different. Um, but definitely, um, I would love to find out what you think about um, the barriers that come in building trust in corporate America. Thank you so much. Yeah, a great question. I appreciate it. And this is actually in my sweet spot because uh, what I've done is I've created what I refer to as a trust framework that mm -hmm. allows any organization, and quite frankly, it's really any relationship. So this works from like individual one-on-one -on -one relationships to organization to organizational relationships and everything in between, the trust framework. It starts with figuring out what trust really is and you define that for yourself. And, and the best way I do that is with a trust, I call it the trust equation. And so I just unpack trust. And for, for me, some of the components of it are clearly honesty, it's um, reliability, it's competence, it's genuine care, it's communication. That's how I unpack trust. So now we get it beyond where it's just a feeling. You can actually start to go, oh, okay. And that could be different to your point for different maybe industries, different people. That's my equation. I'm not suggesting people have to adopt that. But as part of the framework, that's one of the critical pieces of it. And then for however you unpack it, it's you have an ongoing dialogue between expectations and demonstrated behavior in each one of those buckets. And what you find is when the demonstrated behavior exceeds the expectations, mm. we're cultivating trust. And you can have actually a, a free ongoing dialogue because think about it. When's, when's, when do we normally talk about trust? Right? We talk about it in nice kind of moments like this where we all nod our head and go, oh, yeah, 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 trust is very important. But then, Anna, when's the next time we talk about trust typically? Probably, gosh, I don't know, um, maybe a few months from now or a year or never. I'm guessing it's a... More yeah. personally. Oh, when personally. The, when the conversations surrounding trust have you found come up in your own life? Um, probably... I'd say when something not bad happens, but when something happens that makes you kind of right. like reevaluate things or right. like, yeah, it's when something, right. yeah. 
yeah. When, yeah. when it's been when it's been broken or yeah. when it's been very close to broken, right? Yeah. So you lied to me, you cheated, you did, did it. But it's an emotionally charged situation. Yeah. By unpacking trust, we now put it in a space where we can have a routine discussion about it each and every day. And with every human interaction, we could be having this dialogue back and forth. And when, when you don't see the expectations equal to or, or the demonstrated behavior, right, equal to or greater than the expectation, just question it, mm. not judge it. Inquisitive, genuine, healthy curiosity as to why you think you're seeing what you're seeing and give that person the opportunity to enter into a dialogue with you in a psychologically safe space. Mm. That, that in and of itself is, is, is the trust framework. It's also understanding the directions in which trust flows and some other things. I'm happy to have, continue the discussion with you or anybody else. Um, mm. Ben or Tyler can get us linked up afterwards because um, it it's about an hour presentation that I give yeah. specifically talking about how to cultivate a culture of trust uh, yeah. with intention and purpose in any relationship and it and it really becomes the ultimate competitive advantage quite frankly. Mm. Can, yeah. can I appreciate I, can I, that question. And Anna stay on with us but there's a question that came in I think uh, probably on the minds of, of a lot of folks here which is comes from Eric and the, and the question is how can organizations get more high human behaviors from their leaders? But I think that has to do with your question because if a lot of people if I work for a, a group, a, a culture where I don't feel psychologically safe, I'm probably not going to lean in. And how do we then create um, those high human skills out of our leadership? And Eric might want to ask a follow up question to that. But if you could comment on that. Um, it, it's, it's a slow process, unfortunately. Um, and really, if the leader isn't willing to buy into it, then, then quite frankly, it's like anything else. You, you can't force anybody into it because it's going to be inauthentic um, and, and, and people figure it out. And so what we've got to really start doing is putting a preeminence on these high human skills. Uh, we've got to have people like myself, you and others um, be going out into the corporate space, speaking about these things and raising awareness, right? Because that's where everything really starts. It starts with awareness and then awareness becomes a movement, right? And I'm convinced that there are, you got people like Anna, you got people like Eric, yourself. I mean, there are all sorts of people who get it. And to your point earlier, uh, Ben, about is there, a, is there a shift occurring in the army? I think there's even a shift occurring in society and it's coming from the bottom up. And I'm telling you, newsflash, if you're an old dude like me, and you haven't figured it out yet, you're a dinosaur. You're, you're getting ready to be extinct because the moment the metabolism of an organization is slower than its environment, it's on the path to extinction. And we've got, a, we've got an environment right now that is demanding these high, thirsting for these high human skills. And if you're a leader and you can't provide that for your people, you are going to lose a whole bunch of talent and they're going to go someplace else. Okay. Well, so the, the follow-up question Eric had to that is, is it skill building? Is it recognition? Is it shining a light on, on, is it selection of people? I, cause I don't feel it's a selection of people. These are behaviors. These are learned behaviors and maybe we have to unlearn, but is it, is it skill building and learned behaviors, unlearned behaviors? Yeah, it, it's, it, it's, it's definitely more in the learned behaviors category. Um, and, and again, it's just got to, it's got to start as, as young as humanly possible. I mean, there's all sorts of great organizations who are doing this even at the grassroots level. So I volunteer for an organization called the Travis Mannion Foundation. And we go into elementary schools and we, we just start talking about um, character development, quite frankly. Um, and then, you know, bring that into other spaces in education uh, and, and really start awakening people up to these ideas and then putting them in situations where they're able to go ahead and experiment with those. It's a, it's a journey and it's a process. I, I learn every day. I, I've, I've learned a ton just from this exchange right now 
And that's got to be part of it too. If you don't have a healthy curiosity and a vulnerability initially, you're, you're never going to be able to go ahead and build out these things. But they can be done. They are learned skills. And it's why I spend time going into corporate America to hopefully make a positive impact. Well, do you feel like because the stakes are on the surface, not as high in corporate America, that we can create the kind of camaraderie, brotherhood, sisterhood, love, intimacy that you're talking about, trust. We could create that kind of culture over here, even though our lives are not on the line. Do you believe it's possible to take that and translate it into our corporate cultures? Yeah, well, you know, I'd kind of flip it on its head. Um, I, I would say our lives actually are on the line. I mean, you look at suicide rates, depression, all the issues we have with mental health, violence in the workplace, et cetera. So, you know, you can keep trying things the, the old fashioned way, or, or you can start dialing in and waking up a little bit. Um, and so I think it's just as compelling in, in day-to-day society as it is in, on the combat battlefields, you know, across the world. Yeah. You know, it just came up for me. And as you were sharing, and I was thinking about Eric's question, like, how do we build a culture around these high human skills? Is it, is it skills? Is it um, <clears throat> recognition? Do we recognize this versus this? What, what do we shine a light on? Here's something that came up with me. And I, I was having a conversation with some uh, colleagues of mine earlier this morning about this. My natural skills are on a, on a scale of one to 10, I'm like an 11 in terms of reactivity and being a jerk. My Achilles heel, like I fought against it my whole life. I'm really trying to shine a light on it in my life, but I react and, and I turn into like a jerk. And I was doing this um, event in New York City and a colleague of mine didn't sort of have this thing arranged the way I wanted to. And I reacted and I blasted her. We were supposed to go to New York to do this event. I said, don't even get on a plane and come tomorrow. Luckily, she didn't listen to me and she did, but I was just a jerk. I was horrible. Right. But one of the things I've learned to ritualize is take situations we have and do debriefs with our colleagues. What did you do right? What did you not do right? So went to a, a colleague of mine who's a mentor. His name is Dave. And I was like, Dave, I just got to come clean with you. And he's like, what? I go, listen, man, Deb and I were doing the planning yesterday and I was just, I blew up on her. Like I was, if there's high human skills, right? On a, up here, I, I was so far below, it, it, was, it was pathetic. And, um, and he goes like this, he goes, oh gosh. As if he was saying, here you go again, Ben. But he was non-judgmental about it. He said, Ben, let's talk about it. Let's talk about what happened, what you could do to repair it, right? And we developed it, uh, sort of uh, what I needed to go do next. And I approached Deb and, and we were tighter after the situation actually, like the repair happened. But here's why I share that. I don't know if that's a skill, what we recognize, but what it was a ritual we put into place, a practice. In other words, Ben Zoldan did not win out that day. Me on my, on my own self, I lost if left on my own. But the culture around me at Story Leaders was let's put into practice things that will insulate ourselves. The practice and the ritual won out. In other words, culture did. Can we develop cultures around these things? And um, you know, I'm wondering what those are. How how do we develop those rituals and practices? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and there are, you know, the fact that you just talked about that is awesome because in the military, one of the things we do after the end of every training event or actual like mission, we do what we call the after action review. And 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 you all you get everybody together, you know, hey, what did you see? What did I see? You know, what went well, what didn't go so well, what do we want to have happen? And, you know, how are we going to get better? Because um, at the end of the day, none of you know, the only thing we're perfect at as human beings is being imperfect. <laughs> right? So let's just start there. Let's just, let's just all recognize that. And then the other thing that I find interesting is, as human beings, is we'll judge other people on their actions, but we'll expect to be judged on our intentions. We judge other people on their actions. But when it's us, we expect people to judge us, us, you know, ourselves by our intentions, right? How many times have you ever said, oh, well, I didn't mean to, what I intended was, oh, okay. But we, we, we don't afford that same opportunity to anybody else, right? And so if you just start with those two general notions and then to your point, figure out 
whatever works for you inside your space, wherever you are, those rituals that you can go ahead and start applying and start from those two spaces, I think you're well on your way to getting into, a, you know, into those high human skills. Because again, it's a practice. It's not just a one-off. It's a practice. Right. Well, then if that's the case, like, look, we do QBRs. We have all these fancy acronyms and especially in sales environments where every week we have a weekly meeting and what we do is our number one job. At least my, my number one job when I was a rep years ago was every time I had a meeting with my boss, it was to get them off. When we did a debrief, a mission debrief, it was to get them off my back for another week. And then I would lie. I would, I would give them some inflated view of what was really going on. And I only know now the reason I did that was I didn't feel psychologically safe. It wasn't okay to make mistakes. It wasn't okay to say, listen, uh, Jeff, my boss, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm scared right now because I'm below quota. Um, I'm going on sales calls and I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. Or I did this programming project and I'm, I, you know, we don't. So, I mean, maybe that's the thing that leaders have to cultivate. We've got to learn this thing. It's so maladaptive. Right, right. And again, I, I, I tell you, because I because I, I experienced deep frustration, like you're speaking yourself, um, along my career, um, and I've had great leaders. Don't get me wrong, and I never I wouldn't do a thing differently in the army, um, but it, it really it, again it goes back to trust. I'm telling you, if you can cultivate a culture of trust, um, you create the psychological safety. You now allow people to actually you know say the things that they really want to say versus the things that they think they should say, right? And, and as a leader, you have a real responsibility, especially with younger people, to do two things fundamentally in that type of dialogue. It's first realize that they may not have the maturity or the words to articulate well what they're feeling or what they're experiencing. Like, hey, I'm worried that we aren't going to make, you know, the next quarter's thing, right? You, you could say that because you've been through that experience a whole bunch of times. You, you're removed from it now. The pressure isn't on, et cetera. So as a leader, you're going to be, people are going to speak to you in, in completely imperfect ways. And, as, and generally, as long as it's, with, you know, inside the bounds of dignity and respect, just receive it. Don't, don't, don't. Don't, don't go right back at them like we tend to, because now you're just shutting them back down and everybody's watching. You could circle back later and be like, hey, I heard what you said. Here's what I thought I heard you say. Um, and here's, let me go ahead and just rephrase it to you in a way that I think I would have maybe better understood it. And let's have a discussion. And, and now, you're, again, you're modeling the behavior. You, you give them the words so that the next time they do it, they, they have a similar experience. They're better armed to communicate that more effectively and they feel safer to do so, right? That's, that's, that's an example of another ritual that you just talked about. That's a leader ritual. So I'm wondering if like what we could do is take a look at the things we do every day, like as, and as part of my practices, I interview people, I coach people, I do, um, I do one-on-ones, I go on sales calls, I have internal meetings and we can say, these are the things I do over here every day. These are my high human skills bucket. How do I bring these into each one of these? And I, as you're saying that, here's what I'm dying to ask. I'm scared, but I'm gonna ask it. Like, uh -oh. what was the no, big- I'm scared. <laughs> okay, good, or bad, I don't know. What's, do you have like the biggest screw up, dumbass moment from your career where you were the antithesis of the things we're talking about. Oh God, yeah. Oh, more than I, more than I choose to, you know, even even consider, recall, or I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've just blown up at people, um, literally just, I mean, outside of the bounds of dignity and respect, um, things that I'm just absolutely embarrassed to even admit right now. Oh boy. Yeah. I guess, there's really one that I, I wish I could find this person to just go back and say, Hey, I apologize. I am sorry. Uh, cause what I did and how I did it was wholly inappropriate. Um, it, we, we were in a training exercise, um, out of the combat training center. We were getting ready to, um, have guys go into a simulated mission. I gave what I thought was specific instructions to this one individual to make sure communications 
because they were the communications person in the organization, make sure communications were good because it was going to be critical. This was going to be a super dynamic event. And we uh, really needed to make sure that we could, you know, communicate over the radio. Then it, it gets ready to be go time. Guys are rolling out of the wire and all the communication is just completely jacked up. And I mean, I went into this person in, in, in front of a group. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I said things to them that were just horrific. Uh, and, and really what I realized when I went back after the fact, years later, unfortunately, years, um, I realized, you know, that I had actually failed as a leader um, because I didn't, I didn't give that individual probably enough resources for starters. I didn't make sure that they really clearly understood what it is I had expected of them. And, and they probably, and I probably created an environment, at least with that individual, where they didn't feel psychologically safe to come to me. So they probably knew leading up to it that it was going to be a, a shit show. They probably knew, he probably knew that. And I can only imagine the day, about the 24 hours leading up, what that individual must have felt like knowing that and not feeling that they could come to me and communicate that in time to maybe prevent it. And then you think about the impact that that had on everybody else going to execute that mission. I was like, man, I, 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 I got I to be better than that. I got to be better than that, especially if we're going to take this thing for real into combat. That can't happen again. I, I, there's no way I can have that on my head or anybody else's head. Uh, that was a major shift for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably, rel thank you for sharing that. I feel like those are the moments we all have every day. And, yeah. Um, and yeah. And it's just driving. a matter of, is, is, are you going to allow it to be a growth moment? Right, or you're gonna allow it to, you know, just continue to be part of who you are, right? Because it's choice. You you can either grow from it, or you can just keep reinforcing that aspect of, of who you are. Um, you know, I'm thankful in that regard. I, I grow for grow I grew from it. Um, you know, and and I also recognize I still got a ton more growing to do. You know, however many more years uh, I'm on this planet. Um, you know, it's about growth. It's about humility. Um, it's about curiosity. Um, it's about putting yourself in situations where you may not necessarily be comfortable. Um, it, it's, it's all those things, uh, you know, that, that ultimately get you on a path that makes you better. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson is one of my favorite authors. Uh, and one of the, you know, great uh, quotes that I love um, from, from Emerson is, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. And I just really love that quote. Um, uh, uh, hundreds of other quotes too. I'm a big quote nerd, but yeah. Um, in my, in my, you know, times where I'm getting ready to kick myself, I, I, I always remember, I always go back, find that quote and just read it and, you know, remember that, it's what really lies within us that, that matters most, and it's our choice. And as, as you share that, I just think about who knows who's a leader or not. I mean, I don't, you know, maybe it's not about authority, job title, do I have budget, do I have you know, stature, but maybe it's about the people in our lives that make us expand our perception of our own potentials. That's what I get out of what you're saying. And you know, maybe we don't think about that enough. And um, you know, the neatest thing about getting together with you as part of this other collective that you and I are a part of is at the core of this thing, um, we're looking at this crisis of epic, you know, unspeakable, you know, magnitude right now. And it's a chance to, to do something different and not go back to an old way. Like, and, and I get to do that. And here I am just this, the hippy dippy guy from LA. Um, you know, our buddy Freddie, who's a world-class musician, wants, you know, there's an artist, there's a neuroscientist uh, in our collective, and yep. there's you with this esteemed career in the military. Um, and the neatest things is maybe there's not black and white or red and blue or Republican and Democrat, that there's a different way 
that we can live a communal life. And I, that's what you started on. And like, what if we just brought that into focus? So with that, right. we have two more minutes. Any final thoughts? I, I'm so grateful, man, but um, any, any final thoughts that you would share uh, just that comes from your heart? Um, yeah, I would just, you know, really ask people to just uh, be safe, um, take care of one another. Uh, you know, our, our greatest job um, and responsibility in this world is really to care for, care for one another and, and care for the, the, you know, the surroundings and the great fortunes that we have. And, you know, again, I started off with people thanking, you know, me and the military for service. You, you, the best way that you can thank another service member is to just, just go out and be a good human being, right? Because at least in my world and in my space, um, there are too many of us who know far too many others who, who have not had the opportunity to continue to live their life, who have not had the opportunity to continue to, to grow um, as a human being that I've had. And so do it for them, you know, be the good human being, just be the good human being, if, if not for yourself, for them. So that, that's what I would like to leave it with. And, and again, Ben, thanks for this this common unity, this community uh, that you've developed with this incredible uh, idea of a campfire. I love it, man. Well, it's about sharing our stories and nothing brings us together than, than our, our common experiences. So um, I know there'll be people out there that will want to follow up and, and your message is bringing all your collective experiences to, 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 to the world. I know that's your mission in life. Where can everybody find you, your website, your, you know, give people um, a place to find you. You want to just. Yeah. So um, it's a uh, John J O H N dot O Grady. That's spelled O G R A D Y at, and then just all one string strategic leaders academy.com. John dot O Grady at strategic leaders academy.com. Email me. And I'm happy to answer questions, um, you know, just talk, bring the trust framework to you and your organization, your space, or, or any number of things. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I'll follow up with everybody with, with your email address. Um, so with that, John, thanks. And everybody, thanks for joining. Um, next week, we're going to shift some gears. Um, and, um, but we're going to pick up around like our, our emotional, you know, we, we all talk about IQ. We talk about EQ. And there's a, there's a acronym I want to coin. I don't know if it exists out there, but CQ. And that's what's our quote, our courage quotient. Ooh, love it. Um, and we're going to dive into that on Tuesday. So join us. And John, thanks for, for joining us. I hope you all have a great day. Thank you, Ben. Right, it's been a pleasure. Well.